friends. This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this is episode 11. You actually have two jobs. <laughs> um, that might make more sense to people that have been listening to this for a little while. Um, episode eight was entitled you have one job and this episode had initially been slated to go right after it and then so much had changed in the world overnight and it felt really important to deviate (laughs) deviate from the original podcast schedule um but i i felt like this was important enough to keep the the original title even if it doesn't (laughs) logistically makes sense coming later. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how the title um, was inspired and what sort of had happened after I posted episode eight, you have one job to (laughs) lead me to amend the situation and add a second job. Um, If you haven't listened to episode eight, you might get a kick out of it. It was, um, it's actually the most listened to episode I've posted so far. So that's kind of cool. Um, I got some really beautiful feedback about that episode. It was originally posted for graduates and like anything was also probably for everyone, including myself. I, I realized after I posted episode eight that the stories in that episode were for me for a hundred percent for me, like right, right now. (laughs) And the one job in episode eight was doing what you want. And, and we talked a lot about that, about what, what it means to truly know what you want and then to do that. And, and we talked about um, what your what your soul wants to be clear, <laughs> we all have lots of things we want that are very much based on like you know surface you know demands from society and stuff but but episode eight was about what does your soul want? How can you find that? How can you do it um it's such a simple thing and so incredibly transformative if you can do it, and it's it's not easy at all. (laughs) Simple, not easy, right? And then almost like clockwork. And this is what's so interesting about like just being in this human body. I was feeling incredibly called to record that episode. I got so much amazing feedback. It was obviously resonated with people because of how much it was downloaded. And... (laughs) Immediately, the next day, Jason and I were having dinner and he was, he was surfing um, Netflix, actually. And he came across the documentary about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman. And if you haven't seen this documentary, it's one of, honestly one of my favorite art, artistic kind of documentaries, the creative documentaries. Um, and... <laughs> Jason was like, oh yeah, we, we got to watch this. And so we're like kind of diving into it or whatever. And 
it reminded me of one of my very favorite quotes by Jim Carrey. And in fact, it when I first came across it years ago, I used to keep it on my phone, like so that I would just regularly see it um, as a reminder. And it was referenced in the documentary and I was just like bowled over by it because it was this speech that he gave um, probably like 15 years ago now. And in it, he said this now very famous sentiment, which is, I wish everyone could get everything they've always wanted so they can see it's not enough. And I was, I was just, <laughs> I was like, okay, I just recorded a whole episode on doing what you want. <laughs> and, and then was, you know, just immediately within 24 hours, deeply reminded how that's not enough. It's not enough. And I know this. I know this because in the in the very short time that I've been working for myself, um, in October of this year, it will be four years that I've been working full-time uh, as an illustrator in Austin. And I, in that short amount of time, had the experience that he was describing. Um, and so I want to tell that story briefly, and I want to talk about how I feel that informs this unique place that we're in right now. Um, 2020's been intense, right? <laughs> it started off with a pandemic, moved into massive uh, political uprising around police brutality and anti-racism. And it's going to continue on into what I can only imagine will be a very insane election year. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about how your second job um, is important to right now, especially as artists, because, um, you know, I, I talked a little bit about how this podcast, which is still so young, you know, we're in episode 11, um, is about, you know, finding your authentic thing that you make, right? And one of the things that I think is really special about artists is that they have these natural capacities that are intimately tied to the to the way that they make stuff that is that are really needed right now um if i think everyone has this sense that nothing's going back to the way it used to be and i um and that's good for artists i think in certain ways i mean not always <laughs> to be honest <laughs> but in certain ways that's really cool for artists because artists can relate. I think all creative types um, listening to this, whether they classically make art or if they just bring artistry to whatever they do, I think everyone who can relate to having an artistic mindset can also relate to feeling a little bit like an outsider. And it's a really unique time to be an artist because what we've been doing for generations has clearly sh is showing up stronger than ever as not working. And the world is desperate, desperately in need of alternatives, not just in what we make, but how we see 
the freaking world, y'all. And I'm starting to recognize that some of the things that I was terribly, terribly embarrassed about, things that I tried desperately to push down and hide, especially around business, um, are now the things that are really weirdly needed. Um, And I suspect that that's the case for a lot of people. And that was the origin of this podcast. How are my artist friends, how are my creative friends working through this process themselves? And can these stories help them? I hope so. Um, Let's talk about that. Let's start, let's start with the fear (laughs) of being um, not enough. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, Every artist can relate to what I'm about to say, though, and that is the fear of not having what it takes, especially in business, but also just, you know, in life. Um, I remember I tell this story... (laughs) So I I feel like I've never told it on the podcast, but I know I have on Instagram before. Um, of when I was a school teacher, um, and I was also waiting tables in the evenings. So the story I'm about to tell is arguably something that would have happened to anybody working seventy hour weeks, <laughs> but especially me, especially me. Um, I came into school one day and I I literally was getting out of my car and walking into the school building um, incredibly late. Like I was like the kids were already starting to arrive. And so that meant that I was very late. Like teachers were supposed to be in the building like 45 minutes before the kids started showing up or something like that. And as I was coming in the building, I realized I hadn't brushed my freaking teeth. And it was. (laughs) And. Thankfully, I had this relationship with the school secretary where I could just, I was very comfortable with being honest with her about my scattered, scattered ways. <laughs> and I, I came, you know, like, like, I don't even know, like, just like pushing into the office, just like, and I was like, please, I didn't brush my teeth. I don't know what to do. And I, I remember it was so funny. She literally just so gracefully just smiles at me and slowly pulls her drawer open. And inside of her freaking desk were like unwrapped toothbrushes, <laughs> toothpaste. She had everything, right? Like she was an elementary school secretary. She had everything in that desk for any possible emergency. It was amazing. And uh, and I I told her as I was like, getting ready to leave and go freaking brush my teeth. I said, I honestly, I wish I could just have like an ounce of your preparedness and groundedness and organization, you know, just a little bit of it would be really helpful in my life, you know? And she smiled at me and I think she was trying to make me feel better. I don't know like if she actually believed this, but she said, Rebecca, I would love for an ounce of your artistic ability, you know? And I said something, like I was in such a state, right? I was in such a state of like frustration (laughs) that I said, yeah, but your inability to paint, 
doesn't really mess with your day-to-day well-being. My inability to organize caused me to come to school today with stank breath, <laughs> you know? And she looked at me and, and without missing a beat, she's like, you're right, it's true. And I was, I was frustrated by that, right? The world is set up for people more like her. People that are organized and rational and grounded, they ha- just from my perspective, have an easier time. And it was really validating to hear her say that. Right to to honor my experience, um, because it it just had always felt like yes, I I was very aware, as I'm sure a lot of creative people listening to this are also aware, that I had tremendous gifts, and <laughs> it didn't feel like those gifts were as vital for the way the world was set up, at least in that moment, perhaps. <laughs> right? Like if you can't paint, you'll be okay, (laughs) right? But if you can't organize hardly at all, your life will be very freaking hard. Like I, you know, spent the first three decades of my life just learning how to pay bills on time and learning how to, right? I mean, like just really, really scattered and learning how to organize and ground myself and be very predictable and rational and the way that I went forward was really challenging for me. And because of that, that type of thing, like that toothbrush story is like the tip of the iceberg, right? Like (laughs) when I was young, I would forget all kinds of things and just constantly be operating from this place of like spiraling and trying to keep it together. And, um, because of that experience of, of that toothbrush experience times a thousand, right? Over and over and over again in my young years, things like that would happen. And because of that, I, I really started to tell stories about myself. And the main story was, you do not naturally have what it takes to be a business owner. And so when I decided to start working for myself, I really doubled down on what I thought would keep me from failing because I didn't trust that I naturally had the capacities to make business work. And I think a lot of artists feel that way. And so one of the, I did many unsustainable things <laughs> to try to, pro, to try to protect myself from this impending failure that I just always kind of was afraid would come. But one of the worst things I did, um, was that I didn't know how to naturally do or be the way that that secretary at my school was. Like she was just always prepared. She just always was able to anticipate and prepare. And my anticipation and preparedness was, and from my perspective, not naturally there. And so one of the things that I did to try to counteract that perceived lack was that I would keep, I don't know how else to really describe it, but this is the best way I can describe it. I would keep this rolling to-do list um, in my head 24-7 connected to my business. And it wasn't just like pick up envelopes at the post office, (laughs) right? It was like 
I wonder what that client thought when I said this. I hope that they aren't feeling this. I wonder if I I wonder if um my shortcomings in this way will cause me to not be able to do this. Like I would disseminate every single thing I was doing and try to get ahead of any possible fuck up by like just constantly thinking about what I needed to do and what I needed to do better and what I needed to do faster. I mean, you can, I mean, even just hearing me say that stress, even just hearing myself say those words stresses me out again. Like what a stressful thing to do to yourself, right? Like, (laughs) and to willingly do to myself. Like I, um, and the, and there was an aspect of doing that that was incredibly unconscious. Like I just didn't totally like saying the words out loud. Now I'm just like, what a fucking terrible thing to do to myself. But at the time, it felt weirdly important to do, and and it worked. Um, in so far as my business took off, I mean, within four months of starting even just like dipping my toe into business waters uh, within four months of even just the littlest like nudge, <laughs> the snowball just started picking up speed and it was just like barreling down the mountain after like four months and I had to quit my serving job and go full time. And so in that regard, it was, I guess, working. <laughs> I didn't fail. In fact, I was ridiculously successful, ridiculously fast. And so that's how I know what it's like to get everything that you've ever wanted. I, Within a year of starting this dream, this dream of, of working for myself and, and working for myself in art and working for myself in art that was exactly my thing, right? Like I was doodling coloring books, like holy shit. Like it was, y'all, who gets to say they do that? Like I, it was, oh, I mean, that's all I can think to say right now is like that exhale. It was an exhale in some ways. Like what is this? How am I so lucky to get to do this? And and to have it be so wildly successful that I have to quit my my other job, like it was wonderful, and I was drowning because when you try to prevent failure by keeping everything in your mind twenty four seven in an attempt to get ahead of any potential mistake, any potential fuck up. All kinds of messed up stuff started happening. And and weirdly, I wasn't making the connection as to why. So immediately I stopped sleeping through the night. Like, and it and, and that happened for like three years. Like, it was kind of laughable. Like, I remember even Jason was just, I remember him saying to me in one particularly low point where I was just crying desperately. He's like, Becca, I've literally my heart goes out to you. He's like, you don't even sleep through the night. He's like, you're not even getting like the basic (laughs) rest that you need to deal with, you know, all of this other stuff. Right. Um, and it was really frustrating because I would go to bed 
exhausted. I mean, just, I would be grinding all day. I would pass out and then it was like clockwork, like two, maybe three hours. I would just awake like a bullet out of a gun, just like, and it was, it was really bizarre at the time. Now it, now it makes total sense. But the thing that was really bizarre about the sleep thing at the time was that a lot of the times I wouldn't even wake up with stress about work. I, I would just have stuff in my head. Um, because that was how I was living my day-to-day life. I would just pack my brain and keep everything in the surface of my brain because I was so scared of failing. And, and then all of the subsequent stress around having no space in my brain and what started to happen within about a year of like doing this really psychologically unsustainable thing was I started to feel unsafe. It was bizarre. Um, I keep saying that word, but that it, it's like bizarre was a good way to describe that time. I was um, doing really unnatural things to myself to try to prevent failure. And so I was having these really unnatural experiences. And one of them was just even just sitting with Jason, watching TV and the safety of our very cushy, you know, townhouse back when we were, you know, before we had our house in South Austin, we had this like really sweet like apartment right in the freaking green belt like and we would just be like sitting there cuddled up with Layla and watching TV and I would but there was so much just spiraling in my head that I wasn't really alone I, I was I might as well have been in a room with sort of like a a rave but instead of the rave being like dancers and music it was like all of the bajillions of to-do lists that I just was keeping in the forefront of my experience all the time. And I started to wrap my head around, this is what it's like to get everything that you want and to, and to be miserable at the same time. I mean, I was, I was miserable. I, I told Jason I would say every few months I would have kind of like clockwork, this like breakdown Um, and, and tell him I was going to quit. And, you know, he would, he would always just like, cause he's the, such a gem. He would just say, you got it girl. When like, well, to be fair, he doesn't call me girl, (laughs) but I'm paraphrasing. He would just say, whatever you choose, I support it. Um, and then of course I wouldn't quit cause I didn't really want to quit. I just wanted to figure out a way not to be drowning. And what I didn't know then that I recognize now is that by trying to keep all of that stuff in my head, I was also doing something else. I was spreading my energy incredibly thin, like if if human energy is infinite, I was sending energy out to all my clients and like just like keeping my energy with them. Just like, oh, let me just spread my energy out to that client because if they get mad at me, maybe I'll catch it. 
let me spread the energy out over here to this bill because when it gets close to having to pay it, I won't forget if I'm just like, and I would be spreading my energy into all of these things, hoping that if there was like sort of a, a disturbance in the matrix, I would pick up on it. And so, yeah, I mean, it was working, like I said, but, but then the thing that went away was this sense of home. And when I say home, I mean how I used to use artwork, y'all. I used to use art to come home to myself. And I feel like using that phrase, like saying that to you, like saying coming home, I feel like that conjures up a lot of really meaningful metaphors and images for people. And also simultaneously, there's this sense of what does that mean? <laughs> like practically, what does it mean to come home to yourself? It sounds really beautiful until you lose it <laughs> or until you try to reclaim it. And then suddenly like trying to come home to yourself and trying to initiate the process of coming home to yourself, you realize how elusive that idea really is. Um, but one, one memory that kind of comes to my mind when I try to put words to that phrase, coming home to yourself, is when you watch a singer and they are about to like enter the point the part of of a song or of of a performance where they're going to do something that requires a lot of energy like belting out a really loud challenging note or um doing like perhaps they're playing an an instrument and they're about to go into like a crazy scale with lots of jumps and like really crazy technical you know requirements right and every time every time like I literally have never seen this happen any other way every time a performer on stage in front of people is about to do something that requires a lot of energy and a lot of um, technical skill or or whatever, <laughs> they close their eyes. And I believe there's lots of reasons for that, but I believe one of the reasons that they close their eyes is because they're coming home to themselves and they're blocking out everything else in the room all of the sights of the eyes watching them all of the sensory information from their eyes goes away and then with without the input with your eyes it's easier to block out you know the this the sense of your skin and the taste in your mouth and you can focus all of the energy into yourself right and then from that place comes really magical artistry like really amazing things 
come out of a singer's mouth after they close their eyes. Like every time. (laughs) Really amazing things come off of a guitar when the guitarist closes his or her eyes. You know? Um, Before great expression, you have to like come into yourself. And that sounds all like lovely if you're a musician, but I'm sure a lot of you listening to this are like sweet early. I'm not a musician. Like how does how does that function for me? Well, it's probably different for everybody, but I know for me, um when I'm doing line, black line, this is why my style has to have black line in it, by the way. When I'm drawing the lines, I come into myself and nothing else matters. I don't hear anything. Jason will tell you he used to tease me because like it could be the craziest (laughs) like environment. Um, I could even be in an environment that where my, where I was getting jarred, where people were bumping into me. My focus with line was so good that I could even adjust my hand movement to compensate for getting bumped into. And I would, my ability to create exactly the type of line that I want in almost any circumstance is pretty amazing. And it's because there's something about the process of line that makes it incredibly easy for me to come home to myself. I just, every bit of my energy just comes, like sucks in. And all of the energy is inside me and then it comes out through my hand. And all of us have experiences with that where everything gets quiet and all of the energy just comes into you and then comes out in this very focused, fucking awesome way. And I had just done that so naturally as a kid that it didn't occur to me how special and important that process was until I introduced capitalism, (laughs) until I introduced a market freaking economy to the thing that I used to use to come home to myself. And suddenly I was, I was so spread thin trying to think about bills and systems and management and clients and contracts and invoices. I was so spread thin that there was no way for me to come back in to myself um, in the way that I had used to when I would make art. And... I I immediately noticed it. No one else did. I I had enough technical skill to continue to make art that people wanted to purchase. But um, there was this sort of artistic desert that I experienced in the middle. Um, When I look at artwork from before, I went totally full-time to about six months ago. In that space, the art didn't really feel great because I was... I was not able to make from a place of closing my eyes and belting out the tune. I didn't have the energy and I didn't have the space, right? Because that's when someone is about to like play something bananas on stage and they close their eyes, that's what they're creating for themselves is space 
for, for this thing to come through, you know, going inside yourself and creating lots of space. I mean, that's where the magic happens as, as an artist. Um, and not just an artist of like classical art. I'm talking about making anything with an artistic bend, right? So that, that weirdly was the most tragic part about getting everything I wanted was that it was at the cost of the only real reason that art mattered to me, (laughs) which was coming home, being able to go inside myself and experience real power, like bringing all of your energy into yourself and then funneling it into something that you're really good at. That's like real power. That's really important (laughs) for all, (coughs) excuse me, for all of us to experience. I believe it's one of the reasons that we're each here is to do that, to do that, to manifest making in that way. And <laughs> the thing, like it sounds kind of tragic, but the thing that that's actually like really reassuring about this whole time was that there was something trying desperately to get my attention. And I don't know if I even desire to try to name it. Like there's tons of names for it. Like, you know, every religion has a name for it. Even atheists have a name for it. Like there's, there's just something that we can't totally describe in aspects of our lived experience. And that thing was definitely trying to get my attention. And the I really, looking back on it now, I kind of like giggle, but it's what was absolutely waking me up at 2 in the morning. Like sometimes I'd wake up at 2 a.m. and I'd be like, oh crap, I forgot to da-da-da. But most of the time I would just wake up and I would be so pissed because it would just be seemingly for no reason. And what what I realized over time is that it was this thing wanting so badly to, you know, have access to my energy again. Like, like, and it sounds so abstract to even like reference this, um, in general terms. So I'm going to sort of, I guess, tell a story of my direct experience with this thing. Cause I think it makes it a little bit less elusive. Um, You know, because I don't really, I do use kind of hippie language on this podcast, like, and also I recognize, you know, that's not (laughs) for everybody. Jason and I were just chatting about this the other day and he, he was like, it it cracks me up because you'll use the word like energy and I'll use the word like, I can't remember what his, he, he gave me a parallel for it. Jason would never use the word energy, but he and I have realized that we actually have really similar philosophies about stuff. It's just we use totally different words. And isn't that interesting that I think a lot of the arguing that happens on the planet is just a matter of semantics, you know? And and what and what a powerful reason for art to even exist because art is this really profound way of communicating without the messiness of words. Words are so limiting, you know? I feel like 
words are limiting, art is very not limiting, and then story kind of like falls in the middle. (laughs) I feel like story is art with words, (laughs) you know? It like kind of does a better job than just straight words. And so this story, I think, does a good job of kind of putting a finger to what I mean when I say a thing was trying to get my attention. So I'm spread really thin. I'm grinding, grinding, grinding. I'm having all kinds. I, I talked about losing sleep, but I also just, the one of the second things to go along with sleep was my ability to digest food. Like I went through this crazy period of thinking that I was having all of these food sensitivities. And to be fair, they were a hundred percent food sensitivities. <laughs> But it's because I was so stressed and spread thin that I mean, my body just didn't have the bandwidth to process like a whole lot. And so I went through this phase of eating incredibly clean, which, you know, was good for my health, I guess, in the long term. But I, I mean, it definitely made it hard to hang around me because I <laughs> there was like so few places I could eat out. I stopped drinking like at all. Like I wouldn't even have a sip of wine. Like it was... was pretty crazy. It was a crazy time. And I started to get desperate. Like about three years in, I began to realize like, if I don't, if I don't quit, I'm going to like break. (laughs) And this has definitely been, um, a pattern in, in my life. Interestingly, that I would, so deeply distrust myself um, because of these stories I had about being an artist and being too sensitive that I would do all this like really unsustainable grinding (laughs) to like prove that I could like be an adult you know I talked about that in episode eight of you just have one job I just wanted to be an adult in these like phases of life like I just wanted to show that I could hack it and that I wasn't as squishy you know snowflake artist isn't that like a pejorative we use to describe people that are sensitive snowflake right and um and and then subsequently just was destroying myself it was really crazy time and so I started out of I guess I don't know like relative desperation I started taking these little trips um like three or four times a year I would just leave Austin, Jason, my turn off my phone for like a long weekend or like four or five days if I had the luxury and I would just disconnect. And one of the places that I did it was West Texas. Um, And the first time I ever went to West Texas it was, and this is, I think, why this place will always be so sacred to me now, um, is that up until going out there, I was pretty concerned that there was like something weirdly wrong with me. And it's so like hysterical to even say those words now, because there was like, when I talk about what I actually did to myself back then, it's like really laughable that I ever thought there was something wrong with me. Like, of course I was breaking down. I was pushing my limits in every possible way. And, and yet 
when I was in the thick of it, I didn't realize just how bad I was treating myself. And, um, I think one of the things that was elusive about how I was treating myself is that I would make time for physical self-care, right? So I would make time to go like hike with the dogs or, um, you know, sit with my journal or burn some incense or, um, watch a movie. I would, you know, do these things that were decidedly not work. The thing that was tricky was that while I was doing those things, I was intentionally keeping work in my head because I was afraid. (laughs) I was afraid to ever stop thinking about work. And so I was never not working even when I wasn't working. It was like really, really fascinating uh, time in my life. Like I still sometimes like describe it to people and and wonder what I was thinking. But (laughs) anyway... (laughs) I get out to West Texas and there was something about being in the middle of nowhere that gave me, I think, permission to just stop thinking about work because I was so, there was nothing to like attach my energy to out there. It was just, if if you've never been to West Texas, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I've been to wild natural places before. I've been in the Rocky Mountains and I've been along the California coast. And I've, you know, been to a lot of places that are definitely wild, but West Texas is not just wild. It's surrounded by nothing. You know, you have to drive through 250 to 300 miles of nothing just to get to Big Bend National Park. It's not just wild. It's completely removed from any modern society nearby which is pretty rare (laughs) for, you know, those places are getting harder and harder to find. Even when we go to national parks, a lot of them are, you know, located near the modern stuff, you know. And I, I remember the first time I went, I had this distinct thought And the thought was, oh, maybe I'm not crazy. If I can have peace out here, then maybe the crazy is something that I'm calling upon myself when when I'm in Austin. And that was like a really great delineation to make, right? Because I was having this tremendous success. I was getting all these things I wanted and I felt like I wasn't able to enjoy them. And, And that was really what my business goal became by like 2017, 2018 was that I just wanted to be able to enjoy all of the things that that were happening. And so after my first trip to West Texas, I I made I made this commitment that I was going to keep going. And the second time I went out there was last year. It was in early 2019 and it was right on the tail end of probably one of the most challenging freelance projects I'd had ever and I knew I knew that I was at my breaking point with the business when this happened because prior the first three-ish years of working for myself I had always had my intuition like that and I was really proud of that Y'all, I, 
as crazy as things got working for myself and trying to juggle too much, um, I was always really good at getting quiet enough to tap into who was a good fit to work with me. And I'm pretty proud to say that like 99% of my working relationships are like, have just been glorious because, um, I've had a pretty good sensibility of who will be a good fit for my art style and my working style. And this particular project right before I I left for Big Bend last year, um, I was so spread thin and so, so stretched out energetically that I started making some pretty bad business choices and, and ended up with a client that was a really rough fit for me. And and when I say rough fit, I, I mean, I mean, literally fit, like there was nothing wrong with the client. There's nothing bad about them. It was just our working dynamic wasn't even remotely ideal. <laughs> and so I'm really tired. I'm trying to grind this very challenging art situation. And I remember the project ended on a Thursday and I was driving out West on a Friday. Like I was just like, get me out of here. And I remember as I was leaving, Jason very kindly said to me, he said, Hey, look, like, you know, you have my support a hundred percent to go as many times as you need to kind of recuperate from what I know is really unsustainable work situation. Um, but Becca, he said, there has to be a longer term solution. You can't have such an, an unsustainable work life that you are just desperately like (laughs) driving in near tears to West Texas three times a year, you know? And he was right. I mean, I knew he was right. And I, I was just unable at the time to wrap my head around how to do differently, you know? So I get out, I get out there. And the first time I went to West Texas, it was just like, I went to I went to Marfa and just like hung out in Marfa and if you're not familiar with Marfa it's like if you took Brooklyn, New York and pared it down to like a thousand people and put it in the Chihuahuan Desert. <laughs> like it's it's such an interesting place. Basically you can like, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere and you can get fresh squeezed juice, you know, it's, <laughs> um, so, so this second trip to, to West Texas, I wanted to go into the national park and I had picked this really, really popular trail, um, because I had never, y'all up, up until this point, I had never really gone backcountry hiking solo before. And, I'd had the experience in my mid-20s, this is a story for another time, <laughs> of getting lost in the mountains of Utah for a, a full day with a friend. Um, and when I say lost, I mean we could have been dead lost. Like, it was really scary. And so that experience, it's definitely, I know, I feel like that's such a like exciting story to tell and it'll have to be for another episode, I feel like, but that experience had left this really visceral impression of how vulnerable it was to be out in the middle of nowhere. And I, so I had purposely picked this really popular trail that I knew there would be lots of people on. 
And I got into the national park late the first day. And the trail that I had picked was in this like really narrow winding mountain road through the Chisos mountains. And there was like maybe 10 parking spots and then nothing else. There was no like off-road parking. There was nowhere even to drive and and hike into the trailhead. Like it was, you either get one of these 10 parking spots or you're not hiking this trail. And that was unfortunately what happened. I got into the mountains and there was no spots. And I hadn't really, I'd made the mistake of not really having a plan B. Like I didn't really have another trail in mind. So I decided to drive down to the ranger station in the Chisos Basin. And I was just chatting and I I said, hey, look, I kind of want a trail that is safe for a solo hiker, but you know, that also is not quite so packed uh, at the trailhead. And the ranger was so nice. And he said, you know, actually on the other side of the canyon from where you were trying to hike is this trail that's so beautiful and not a lot of people know about it. It's called Pine Canyon. Um, It's actually sometimes has a waterfall at the end of it. Um, And we got some rain last night. So maybe you'll be lucky enough to see the waterfall. Um, You'll love it. And I was like, cool, thanks, you know. And then as I was, I remember, I'll never forget this, as I was walking out of the visitor center, he called after me and he said, hey, by the way, what kind of car do you drive? And I was like, come again? <laughs> and um, and he, and I said, well, an HRV. And he goes, okay, cool. And I'm sure, I'm sure all of you are like connecting the dots in your head already. I, I didn't because I'm that much of a modern bitch, I guess. <laughs> I just don't, I don't think like an outdoorsy person would think. And it didn't click in my head until I turned off the main highway towards the trailhead that, you know, the, the road was gravel. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is why he wanted to know what kind of car I had. And as I continued to drive, the gravel um, gave away to rocks, <laughs> which gave away to hilly rocks, which gave away to massive inclines with boulders. <laughs> and pretty soon I find myself in what is about a six mile drive going 10 miles an hour like it was true creeping and so I'm like sweating a little bit right because I'm thinking this is not ideal like this road the road felt really intense even for my little HRV like I would have much preferred to have been on that road with a big truck you know And not only am I just on this very seemingly treacherous road, but I'm not seeing anybody. Like, nobody. I don't see any cars on the road. I don't see any campers uh, in any of the backcountry sites that I'm passing. Nothing. And I'm, like, I'm starting to sweat. And I'm thinking to myself, what what was this ranger thinking? Like, if I break down out here, I'm fucked. Like, it was, like, really, really remote. And after about 45 minutes, I just am, like, uh, substantially freaked out and about to turn around when, very synchronistically, I stumble onto 
the first people that I've seen, this couple, silver-haired couple camping along the, the road. And I pull over and I'm, y'all, I'm just hysterical. I'm, I, and I don't mean hysterical like sobbing. I just mean hysterical like funny. Because I was like, hey, I'm Becca. I'm scared. Like I was trying really hard to play it off, but I was very scared. And, um, and the woman was so, so maternal and sweet. And, and she said, oh, sweetie, I would hike that trail solo any day. She goes, you're going to love it. Um, it's just an out and back trail. It's impossible to get lost on it. She said, um, there is probably going to be some water up there in the waterfall. She goes, and if we, we'll keep an eye out for you. We're going to be here all day. So if we don't see you come out by like 4 PM, we'll come in and look for you. And I was, I was, I, I remember I just had a big exhale, you know, okay. And so I followed her directions and sure enough, like about 10 minutes passed, their campsite was the trailhead and I pull in and I get out of the car and I was describing it to someone later. It was like getting clotheslined by silence. Um, I had never, I I was almost, I was 38 years old and I had never in my life experienced silence that was so loud. It was deafening and this like wave of vulnerability just like washed over me like you are truly alone there's nothing out here and I so I had gone from just being in Austin just like drowning in things in my space like constantly just like thinking of and having people calling me on the phone and emails 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 and social outings and happy hours and just like to this just this I mean, I couldn't think of a more opposite experience. (laughs) It was so, it was really overwhelming. And so I try to like muscle up, you know, my courage and I put on my pack and get my water and all the things. And I start off on this trail and I get to the top of the trail and there's this big old sign that says, welcome to mountain lion country. (laughs) Here's what you should do if you see one and are afraid it attacks. I was like, oh, sweet. It was like this, it was honestly the straw, the last straw. Like I just, for the past hour, had been trying to keep all of these nerves at bay. And now as I'm hiking up this trail, I'm absolutely convinced that I'm being stalked by mountain lions. (laughs) And I'm and I'm and I'm convinced that I'm like the perfect prey for a mountain lion because I'm alone, and I'm terrified, and I'm sh- certain that my ter- terrified pheromones are just like spreading all over the place. And so, about like fifteen minutes into this very scary hike, I and when I say scary, I mean scary in between my two ears. Like nothing bad was happening. It was just a very chill trail. <laughs> I sit down on this rock and I'm, and I'm just, I've just had it, you know, and I am drinking some water and trying to calm down. And I'm thinking, am I really going to do this? This was a five mile trail total. Like, am I going to hike five miles feeling terrified the whole time? Like, why would I subject myself to that? You know? And clear as day, like I, I was thinking about how I was going to tell this story before I recorded it. And I don't, I don't know if I have the words. This is the, 
this is the only story that can like even remotely describe something like this and even then words are so limiting um but if I had to try to put words to it it was clear as day this voice but it wasn't in my ears it was just in my body it was like a voice in my body but I heard the words I like or I felt the words I don't know I don't know you see what I mean um and the words said go back to your car there's people there and if it had been anywhere else I might have just like brushed it off as me having like a weird imagination fart right but this was not that this was very decidedly not me something not me was communicate communicating y'all it it was and it was so clear that I didn't even really have time to feel crazy I was just it was something I'd never experienced before and also just felt ridiculously familiar and I remember standing up and being like okay yes voice I will do your bidding right it was really it was funny and and then I as I'm walking back then some of the analytical crap starts to descend and I am having this mixture of feeling really excited that I've just had this incredibly ethereal experience (laughs) and then also feeling simultaneously pretty nuts you know what if no one's there then I'm going to feel really weird, I, you know. I And as I'm having this inner dialogue, the voice comes up again, like it very clearly. And it was like, hey, cut it out. It didn't say, hey, cut it out. I just felt it. I felt like this interruption in, this, in the like inner dialogue of like, hey, cut it out. Like, no, like you can trust me. Keep going. Oh, so interesting, y'all. Oh. And sure enough, I get back and yep, there's some people there. And and then, and so I, I'm like immediately very excited that I was not only not crazy, but that there was this incredibly mystical messaging system that was not lying to me. <laughs> and I had only a moment of excitement for that. And then immediately I feel really self-conscious, like, we're in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure these people probably are, I would presume, coming out into the middle of nowhere to have some relative solitude. And here comes this chick, like, hoping she can, like, crash their hiking party, you know. And so I decide to sort of feel them out and see how, you know, they are, if they're receptive to me even talking to them. And so I approach this guy. He's... um right at the trailhead and there's a girl like digging around their car and I introduce myself and he's so friendly and and I just say hey have you ever hiked this trail before and he goes yeah actually I've hiked it a few times he goes but this is her first time and he points to her and before I have time to like turn and look I hear her voice say oh my god and I turn and and standing in front of me is one of my fucking friends from Austin in (laughs) the most remote corner of Texas I I there is my my friend 
And I remember I was holding this walking stick and I just dropped it and like crumpled. <laughs> I, I had to like rain in the tears. I was not just relieved, not just relieved. It was more than relief. It was, it was profound. It was, to me, the experience left me with this impression that there were massive forces at play that I could only begin to understand, you know, and that I was never, ever alone. And not only was I never, ever alone, but that it wasn't up to me to control everything. That if I relaxed and listened, (laughs) that there was all kinds of workings that that I that it, that I didn't have to con- that I didn't have to like initiate right that there was this massively perfect system already moving and my job was just to kind of like try to harmonize with it and it would do all of the work for me right like It was sur- it was surreal. I I was looking up words to describe it later because when I was trying to tell the story to people, people would say, "Well, do you think that was God talking to you out there?" I mean, those of you that have known me for a while know that um, I was raised in a church. My mom is a commissioned minister for the United Church of Christ. I was raised in a church. I haven't gone to church formally in twenty five years. Um, Organized religion hasn't been um, part of my path, but I value it tremendously for people that use it without harm because it's a beautiful thing. Um, but, you know, I God is a pejorative for a lot of people, right? Like God, the word God has a lot of really negative attachments for a lot of people. And, and so does spirit. And so does, you know, a lot of words that try to name that thing. And... And so I was like trying to look up alternate words and I ran across this word that Carl Jung, the psychologist, um, coined called the numinous, which is this experience that he had found a lot of his clients had where they would brush up against something that was very much a thing and yet it was not connected to any of their five senses. They didn't they couldn't describe what it looked like, they couldn't describe what it sounded like, they couldn't touch it or taste it or feel it on their skin. It was it was very much interacting with something um extrasensory, you know. And I I liked that term. And I came back to Austin with this sense of that's what I miss about making art was that making art was a way to access that spaciousness without having to drive 700 miles, (laughs) right? Because I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this and they're like, sweet Burley, like, are you telling me that in order to get peace, I have to drive out to the middle of nowhere? I mean, it definitely helps when you don't have any idea how to do it in your own house. (laughs) But the experience out there made me realize that I had, as a kid, 
just quite naturally created those circumstances all the time in my own bedroom. And so subsequently, you know, that was in April of 2019. And Subsequently, what happened going forward from there was me making decisions about ways that I could create spaciousness in my business um, without the fear of it failing. And it changed the way that I approach getting what I want. Because I don't want what I want if I have to have it at those costs, you know? Um, I, I want to have the space to close my eyes and stand in front of a microphone and belt out the tunes <laughs> and trust that it's going to be okay, you know? And that meant that I had to face all of the the reasons that I was afraid to do that, right? Like all of the stories that I was telling myself about why I couldn't trust going inside myself and closing my eyes and shutting off all of the control, you know? Um, that was an interesting time, you know, like stories that don't work anymore usually start in childhood and so unpacking that was an interesting thing (laughs) I feel like this story may feel a little detached from what's going on in the world but um to me it actually is incredibly connected to what's going on in the world because I realize that my experience with working for myself um the the experience of leaving myself in order to try to control everything out there that experience is really human and really common and it's really common when people are about to make something that they don't believe they have the ability to make right like, and I think we're collectively in that place. There's this deep knowing that we have to systemically rebuild something big, right? Um, because the systems that we have, the microsystems and macro systems that we have to organize human life, um, don't work for most people. And not only do they not work for most people, but they deeply hurt a lot of people um, to the point of taking their lives, to the point of doing tremendous violence to them. And I think we're collectively kind of like, do we, do we have what it takes? Right? Like if we look back at our history, it doesn't appear that we do. <laughs> I can relate to that feeling. I had that feeling. I would look back at my history as a child and as a teen and as a school teacher and I'd be like, man, my choices definitely don't lend themselves to being a business owner. I don't know. I better try to stay ahead of this bullshit. 
and the the thing that's really tragic about making that making decisions from that place of fear and shame is that we stop going inside to get the information that we need to get the focus that we need to get the energy that we need to belt out really challenging notes to play really challenging scales on a guitar right to make the most precise black line in the middle of a hurricane right i'm obviously talking a metaphor here but when it when when what we're making requires tremendous energy and focus we have to be able to come home to ourselves we have to be able to close our eyes in front of the microphone and it's really it's just it's weird to to think of doing that when the world seems to be going down in flames right like it it feels like the opposite would be true right i mean like we need to go out there we need to spread our energy out there um and i don't mean to suggest through this story that going home to ourselves means hiding um right like i'm not talking about like oh i can't handle this uprising so i'm gonna go get my nails done (laughs) i'm not talking about that i'm talking about how are you gonna go home to yourself so that when you do go out to the protests right you're able to funnel energy, creative energy, in the same way as a singer about to belt out a really challenging tune. I'm talking about energy right now. I'm talking about the, the ways that we create um, without the physical stuff, right? Like, it's so hard for this, uh, this episode has been recorded a couple of times because I just, the words aren't great. And, and I think that is why it's even more important, this topic, right? I think this is why this type of stuff isn't talked about a lot because we tend to be distrustful of things that aren't explainable easily. Um, but that experience of being in Big Bend, of having all of my sensory, all of the sensory stuff removed and coming home to myself, you know, you're able to, in the quiet space between, if you can bring quiet in between your ears, holy shit. (laughs) And is that possible, right? Are we able to get so quiet between our ears that we can go into the thick of the work and and stay tapped into ourselves you know because humans have been toppling pyramid power structures since the beginning of time if that's what's happening right now if that's what we're trying to do right now and I think that's what a lot of people are trying to do right now um, in different ways. Um, 
humans have always toppled pyramids. Revolutions have happened forever and ever. And we've always just created another pyramid because we forget. And this includes people that have been terribly, dis- terribly destroyed by these systems. Like I'm ta- This is true for people that have been way more affected by these systems than me. Um, all of us were still raised in a culture that taught us to be pyramid builders, you know? And so it's one thing to, to put all of our energy out there into just dismantling what's out there. That's the easy part, quote unquote easy. (laughs) But at the end of the day, we're still pyramid builders. How do we build something different? And to me, the answer is to get really, really quiet and to go inside um, and figure out the things that are causing us to tell really messed up stories. And, um, you know, I feel a little self-conscious because I definitely don't want to come across as if I have all this figured out. I definitely don't. Um, not even close. (laughs) I'm unpacking a bunch of my own crap at the moment around what's going on, which is part of, you know, why I've gotten a lot quieter um, on social media. I, that's just for me. I, a lot of people, um, are feeling really called to go onto social media and that's, that's also very valid. But for me, um, I have found so much power in getting really quiet out there because then all of this really amazing stuff becomes clear in inside, you know, you're standing on a stage and there's all these people staring at you. How do you get quiet inside to sing that perfect note? You know, how do you get quiet enough to make the perfect thing that only you can make for the world? How are we going to collectively close our eyes to get still? And you know, when I was kind of creating the notes for this episode I was thinking am I telling everyone listening to this to meditate because that's what it kind of sounds like I'm doing um but I'm but I'm not um if I you know this is for for artists and and meditating could be one way I, I meditate for sure but going into nature and drawing are are ways that I prefer to go home to myself. What are the ways you prefer to go home to yourself? If it's not sitting on a cushion with your eyes closed, that's okay, right? Um, there's many ways to come home to ourselves, and meditation is just one of them. Um, and that's the second job, you know? It's not enough to get what we want if it's at the expense of being at home with ourselves. And I'm not sure if that's what Jim Carrey was talking about. I'm not, but I want to I want to say probably because most of us have been taught that if we want to get what we what we want, we have to control things out there. Control things out in the world. <laughs> And 
I, I'm, I'm starting to wake up to this idea that, man, it's less about controlling what's out there and more about um, being tapped into what's in here. And, um, but I'm not talking about, you know, like going and sitting in a garden and just trying to manifest under a tree. Like that's not what I'm talking about at all. <laughs> um, I've been working in front of my computer for the past six hours today. Um, but this morning I got up early and I drove my bike out to Bastrop and I pedaled an hour in the middle of the pine trees, you know? Because I have no desire to talk to a client about making art for them if I haven't first come home to myself. And I have no desire to help dismantle systems of power when I haven't first like looked really hard at myself and recognized the ways that I'm a pyramid builder. We're all pyramid builders. All of us are. And the thing that makes this podcast to me so special is that I feel like, um, I feel like even if all of us listening to this have been indoctrinated in many of the pyramid building ways, (laughs) if many of us have been indoctrinated to sing staring out into the crowd, (laughs) um, feel like artists are more open to the alternatives than other people and that's what I mean when I say this is a great time to be an artist right because I think artists you know dabble all the, I mean ever since I was a kid at least I've dabbled with what if what if this what if that my imagination would just go running with all of these what ifs and and then they would just like slam into the walls <laughs> of this is how they would slam into the walls of the pyramid this is how we do it we don't have space for your ideas in this world and these systems and I certainly don't mean to be overly idealistic because I'm I fully expect for the rest of my life that all of my rambling ideas are going to run up against walls but for the first time in my life, I'm going to be 40 in July. Holy crap. For the first time in my life, I'm like seeing the ways that some of the alternatives that I've concocted in my mind have a little more space to roam because a lot of the walls are crumbling around us. Uh, and that can be really scary if you've built your life around around walls um it's scary for me too cuz you know i i've certainly constructed a lot of of the way that i do things around the systems that were in place before but but i also i think have a little bit of excitement about about this time about the spaciousness um, that happens when things crumble. And I feel like a lot of creative people can relate to that of relating to the feeling of like, Oh, I suddenly see space for some of my newfangled ideas, (laughs) you know, Jason was teasing me the other day. He was saying, 
you know, I know you, you're a big, you know, idealistic hippie and you just want to, you just, like, he knows me. I'm just like, money is a construct. When, when the pandemic happened, I was like, money is a construct. Let's go back to a gift economy. You know, (laughs) I think I've talked about that in another episode, you know, like, I'm not saying that's going to happen either. Right. But suddenly the idea of, of money being fallible is, is not so weird, you know, and that's kind of cool for me as an artist. And I wonder if it is for other creative people too. And that's the idea that I've just been sitting with a lot lately. What are the ways that I can shut out the crowd? Um, as I'm about to belt out some of the biggest notes of my life, you know, because the world needs some of our biggest notes that we have to offer. Um, and the first, the first step to focusing our energy is closing our eyes. How are we going to do that? Anyway, you have two jobs. The first one is to do what you want. The second one is to close your eyes. (laughs) (sighs) Um, I love y'all. I decided not to share this at the beginning of the podcast, which is always a little bit, I don't think risky is the right word. That feels like a dramatic word to say, but it's usually a good idea to share like housekeeping stuff at the beginning of an episode because people are listening then, but you know, I just didn't feel like it was a good time, weirdly, and so I decided to do it now. Um, but I was supposed to have Jason on this week, and we decided to push it out until next week because um, I created sort of an outline. You know, I usually just sit down and like kind of wing these recordings. Jason's not that way, <laughs> so he needs an outline. Um, but I, I'm really excited. To have him on, I know I've been saying that for a few weeks now, but he is, there's something kind of cool that happens when the two of us talk to each other because you, you all have been listening to me now for 11 different episodes and you kind of have a feel for how I see the world and I definitely am pretty like comfortable with like flying off into the atmosphere on a lot of things and sometimes I tangent to the point where I forget what I was talking about. The fact that y'all enjoy these episodes means a lot to me because I know sometimes they can be a little spirally. Um, and then Jason is very, um, he's, he's spirally too, by the way. I would definitely, that's why we're married. <laughs> but his spiral is so grounded. It's awesome. And so when we talk together, we were just kind of chuckling about this the other day. He reminds me to like, you know, root. (laughs) And, um, I give him encouragement to open up his loopiness a little bit and together it's just like a really fun conversation. And I'm really looking forward to talking about some of the ways that he, um, help has helped me because I'm certain that there's creative people listening to this that are going to enjoy it. So that will be next week. Um, I have created a Patreon account. This is why I was going to, this is why it was probably important to talk about this at the beginning of the episode, but 
whatever. Though this will be sort of um, kind of always available throughout each of these episodes going forward. But I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but the last two Mondays I've posted these a lot later, and it's be- in the day, and it's because uh, my work is awesomely pretty much back to normal, and so I'm having less and less time to record this. Um, this content and also to do some of the internal work that um, puts me in the right state of mind to record meaningful content. And so I decided to create a Patreon as a way for you to um, support it, support the podcast financially if you feel called to do so. Um, $3 a month is, you know, I support some uh, artists on Patreon for three dollars a month is like all I'll do, and and three dollars a month means so much to makers because three dollars a month compounded by even just ten people, um, that's like a half an hour, an hour of time that I can just kind of squirrel away without having to feel bad about it. Um, so if you feel called, if you're enjoying this podcast, um, please consider becoming a patron, um, or I'm sorry, becoming a patron of the Patreon. There will be, um, so there'll be patron only sort of perks, if you will. Um, Q and A is with guests. Um, Jason is not going to be the only guest of the podcast. I'm arranging having other people on here very soon. And also, um, monthly zoom sessions um drop-in sessions with me if you're interested in talking more directly about the contents of of secret sauce so check it out if you're interested there's a link in the show notes as well as on my website and instagram and and thank you uh thank you i i always wrap these episodes up with gratitude because um where people invest their precious time is no small thing. And the fact that so many people have been investing an hour of their weeks into hearing me talk about this kind of stuff is not lost on me, the power of that. It's so cool. And I'm so grateful to have at connections to people that um, enjoy similar things about art and life as I do. Um, and if you are enjoying the podcast but don't feel um or don't or just know that you can't financially support at the moment um a really awesome way you can support is share it with someone that you know would like it leave a five-star review um and and click subscribe because um the more subscribers there are to this podcast the more the algorithm pushes the um the podcast into other people's search feeds so thank you thank you thank you I love y'all. Till next week. Peace.